Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. City Light. How are you doing? My name's Kenan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my hometown, where I'm actually from, grew up the first 30 years of my life, is good old Kansas City, Missouri. That's right. Representing the Chiefs this morning. Oh, the Kansas City is the home, home of the soon-to-be Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. Today is the Super Bowl, and let's take a quick poll, just straw poll by cheer. Who is rooting in the the, the options, for those of you who don't know, the Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles? So let's go. Who's rooting for the Chiefs this morning, or this afternoon? All right. What about the Philadelphia Eagles? That's tough. That That was actually pretty close. Who's most excited to see Chris Stapleton sing the national anthem? There's a couple people, yeah, that boy can sing, so it's going to be good. <laughs> but it, regardless, it's going to be a, uh, a fun day for us where we get to uh, spend some time with friends and family uh, just celebrating some football. It's going to be a good time. Uh, but one of the ways that this Super Bowl has been marketed is as the Kelsey Bowl. Uh, for those of you who aren't into football who don't know what that's all about, uh, the reason it's being called the Kelsey Bowl is because there's, there's a pair of brothers who are each playing on opposite teams. We have Jason Kelsey, who plays for the Eagle, and Travis Kelsey, who plays for the Chiefs. And what's so special about that is that, first of all, both of these players who are playing opposite each other, these brothers, they're both like superstar, first ballot, Hall of Fame type players. And this is actually the first time that in the Super Bowl there have been brothers playing on opposite teams. So this has become like a storyline throughout this whole week. Like their mom was interviewed on Good Morning America. Their dad was on ESPN a bunch this week. This is like a sibling rivalry come to life. And the reason like this story grabs our attention so much is because like if you grew up with siblings, if you're like a dude, you can remember playing backyard football with your brother. Or if, if, uh, if like you're a girl and you like competed over who was going to get to wear that sweater today. I know my wife tells stories about her and her sister fighting through the closet. Who's going to get to wear those boots today? Um, we all grew up, if you have siblings, you know that there's always a conversation about who's in charge. Who's mom and dad's favorite son or daughter? Who gets to decide what game we play or what movie we watch? Sibling rivalries are some of our earliest memories and some of our fiercest battles. But when we actually look at scripture, we see a pattern. It reveals that although there are fierce sibling rivalries all throughout scripture... There's no real contest as to which sibling is favored. The most prevailing, the most important, the favorite child in the family in these times 
is the firstborn son. And this morning, we are looking at the concept of Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. Those are five words I'm going to preach on this morning. And my prayer is that as we look at Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, we would be comforted and empowered knowing that Jesus has not lost control. In fact, Quite conversely, Jesus is ruling and reigning over all creation, even now. We do not need to fear. We do not need to worry. We do not need to be anxious because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So let's get to our passage. And as a reminder, or if you missed last week, uh, we're going to be spending eight weeks through, from verses 15 through 20. And so the challenge has been set for us as a church to try to memorize this passage together. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage together as a church one more time. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Say it with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Beautiful. Last week, Chuck started this passage of Scripture by talking about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We can get to know God by looking at who Jesus is. We can know God by knowing Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look to Jesus. God's not hiding himself. It's not a mystery or a conspiracy. When we look at Jesus, we see God revealed. And as we move on to the next five words we're going to be talking about this morning, it is, he is the firstborn of all creation. And this morning, I want to start off by saying what that doesn't mean first. What this doesn't mean is that Jesus was the first created being. No, it's not true. One thing Chuck talked about last week is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God the Father all throughout Scripture is referenced as this invisible God. But in Jesus, what God does is he actually puts on skin and bone and dwells with us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The invisible God becomes visible. The eternal God was born a baby. God himself walked this earth that he created. He is, Jesus is not a created being. He is God himself. John 1 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And then it goes on in verse 15, John says that this word became flesh. 
So in the beginning was the Word, and then this Word became flesh. John is trying to highlight a theological point about who Jesus is. Jesus is eternal. He was not created. In fact, next week Chuck's going to talk about it was by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. So this term, firstborn, isn't talking about Jesus being the first created being. It's referencing his position over all creation. Firstborn isn't a chronological distinction. It's a hierarchical one. Let's look at a couple passages. Exodus 33.4 Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. We're talking about the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. And we, when we read the book of Genesis, we know that God promises to Abraham to make Israel a great nation. That happens in Genesis 12. But before the nation of Israel existed... We already have other nations existing. Like in Genesis, even just Genesis 11, we have the nation of Babylon. So when God talks about Israel being his firstborn in Exodus 33, he's not talking about a chronological firstborn. Because other nations existed before Israel did. Israel isn't the firstborn nation in chronological order. Israel is firstborn in its position. In Psalm 89.27, it says this in reference to King David. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And if anybody knows David's story, you know that David is actually the youngest son. The eighth in order. So how can David be the firstborn when he was actually the eighthborn? Because this term is not referencing order, but position. David was this beloved, godly, and successful king, the firstborn king of the earth. In biblical times, the firstborn sons were considered to have the highest rank among the siblings. They were given a larger portion of the inheritance, and they were entrusted with the responsibility for the family. They were the top dog. And that was just common understanding and practice millennia ago, which is why when we read stories in the Bible and often the, the youngest son or the second born son is favored, it's why it's so scandalous when that happens because it's just a general understanding that the most important son, the most important sibling in the family was the first born son. The first born son was the one who had the highest position in the family. They had authority in the family. And this tradition of favoring the firstborn son became the basis on which the biblical authors use this term to label people or nations the firstborn. And again, it's not about chronological order. It's about authority, position, priority. What Paul is saying when he says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation is that Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He has authority over all creation that Jesus is ruling and reigning over heaven and earth right now. 
The sun and the moon move at the sound of his voice. The wind and the waves obey his commands. And even the mountains would bow down at a word from his mouth. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He rules over it. He reigns over every nation. He stands as supreme king over all things. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Chuck mentioned last week uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and they're traveling from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other and a great storm arises and everyone is scared for their life. Meanwhile, uh, Jesus merely said, peace be still. And at that moment, the wind stopped, the waves calmed down, and the water was still. And understandably, Mark 4 says the disciples were terrified. (laughs) Up to this point, they'd seen Jesus do miracles, but they'd never seen anything like this. They were amazed and terrified what happened, and then they asked to themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And let me answer that question for you and for all the disciples. I can tell you who does things like that, the firstborn of all creation, Jesus. He is the one who can stop a storm in its tracks with a word because that is who he is. The ruler, the king, and authority over all creation. In Matthew chapter 9, somebody brings a paralytic man to Jesus. And everybody assumes that Jesus is just going to heal this guy. That's what Jesus does. Just an average, ordinary day for Jesus to just heal paralytic guys, I guess. But that's not what happens when they bring this man to Jesus. When this paralytic man comes before Jesus, he says in Matthew 9, 2, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes in the room, the Bible says, are besides themselves. Who is this man who thinks he can forgive sin? The only one who can forgive sin is God himself. And Jesus responds in verse 5 through 7. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. The scribes are asking the question, who is this man who has authority to forgive sin? And Jesus answers, I'll tell you who has authority to forgive sin. The firstborn of all creation, that's who. The one who is over all and before all. The one who has authority over both sickness and sin. Over brokenness of the body and soul. That is who Jesus is. And let's just continue walking through the Gospels. We could go to the book of Luke. Luke. Jesus happens upon a man who's demon-possessed. And when this demon-possessed man sees Jesus, he bows down to him and begs him not to be destroyed. Like, this isn't like some modern horror movie like where the priest and the demon are like fighting against each other. It's like, who's going to win? No, at the mere sight of Jesus, the demon bows and begs for his life. This is no contest. These demons are begging Jesus not to destroy him. And that's because Jesus has authority over everything. Even against the powers of evil. No sin, no plot of Satan, and no evil can stand up against him. 
Who is this Jesus that demons tremble in fear before? He is the firstborn of all creation, the authority over heaven, earth, and the powers of hell. And that authority was put to the test as the Romans and the religious elite plotted against Jesus to kill him. That's exactly what they did as Jesus was arrested, nailed to the cross, and died. I found a quote uh, by N.T. Wright this week. It said this, Crucifixion was a powerful symbol throughout the Roman world. It was not just a means of liquidating undesirables. It did so with the maximum degradation and humiliation. It said loud and clear, we are in charge here. You are our property. We can do with you what we like. It insisted coldly and brutally on the absolute sovereignty of Rome and of Caesar. It told an implicit story of the uselessness of rebel, I don't know that word, and ruthlessness of imperial power. It said in particular, this is what happens to rebel leaders. And as Jesus is arrested, beaten, mocked, and given a crown of thorns with a sign above the cross, king of the Jews, this was the Romans' government's attempt to not only embarrass and humiliate Jesus, but to flex their strength against him, to assert their own authority that we are Rome, we're in charge here, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. And no Jewish carpenter is Lord, only Caesar is Lord. But how pointless, how silly it was for even one of the most powerful empires in human history to stand up against the firstborn of all creation. Because we know that Jesus not only has power over all human governments and institutions, King Jesus even has the power to overcome death. Jesus says in John 10, 8, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Who is this man who overcame Rome, who turned history upside down? Who is this man who conquered the grave and was risen to life? He is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ, authority over heaven and earth. I hope you're ready for me to preach today because I'm going. Picture this, the strongest thing that Rome could do to take out Jesus, the most brutal way a brutal empire could show their strength, and it lasts all of three days before Jesus rises from the dead. The worst thing that we could think of, death. The biggest problem for humanity, everyone's biggest fear and the saddest reality of the broken world we live in, dying, death, could not overcome our Jesus because he is the firstborn of all creation. Authority over heaven and earth. He has authority to forgive sin. He has authority over evil. He has authority over all empires and government. He even has authority over death. He is the firstborn, the authority, the ruler of all creation. 1 Peter 3.22 says this about what happened to Jesus after his resurrection, that he has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God right now with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All beings on heaven and on earth, all powers, both good and evil, all authorities, whether righteous or unjust, have been subjected to him. 
And Jesus reminds us of this reality after he was resurrected and he gives his last commands to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. Jesus said this, Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is what's known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus' final message and command to the disciples before he would no longer be with them physically. And before he gives this command to go and make disciples, to continue the mission that he started, before he gives that command, he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And my question is, why would he say that? Why would he remind his disciples of this? Why, why is this idea that he is the firstborn of all creation, why is it so important for us? Why are we slowing down to savor this beautiful truth? I think it's because in seasons of doubt, despair, and hopelessness, we need to know that the same Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, the same Jesus who gave us the opportunity to be reconciled to God, the same Jesus who made us a new creation, he is ruling and reigning over all creation. The God who loves us and cares for us deeply, who knows our name and has counted the hairs on our head, that God has the power authority, and ability to move mountains if he so desires. So we don't need to fear what's going to happen in that next election cycle. In fact, whoever gets power only has an illusion of power in the first place. We don't need to get bogged down in worry and anxiety over tomorrow or what's going to happen 10 years from now. Because God can no doubt provide. Even those trials may come and the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our sin can feel overwhelming. We can look back and remember this Jesus who is the firstborn of all creation, this Jesus who loves us and cares for us and died for us, that Jesus has authority over all creation. In the midst of any circumstance, we can trust him and we can have peace because he loves us and he is the firstborn of all creation. This is why and this is how we become a people of hope. Not a people who are pessimistic about what's going on, but no, like God's on the throne. This is why we pray for the sick because we believe that God can heal. This is why we shouldn't be a people of anger or fear. This is why we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. This is how we have peace in the midst of life's worst times. This is why we can stand against injustice and give lavishly. This is why we pursue the mission to multiply disciples in churches. Not because anything we're awesome, but because that Jesus has the power and authority to bring his kingdom here. And all he asks of us is to go and trust And that's why we take communion every week, because we see the kind of rule and reign when we, when we see King Jesus on the cross, we see him most clearly. We see his authority take place. Specifically, if you want to look through the Gospel of Mark and read his account of the crucifixion, and you want to compare it to uh, a Roman triumphal march, a, a coronation of the Caesar, 
When you compare those things, you actually see that they're remarkably similar. When a Caesar in ancient Rome was coordinated, they would hold these ceremonial parades through the street. And the purpose was to show off the power and authority of Caesar. And in Mark, he actually highlights certain location and events. And he orders his account of Jesus' death to mirror this same ceremony. From the crown of thorns to the purple robe. Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross with him. The wine he refuses on the cross. His crucifixion is meant to be an enthronement ceremony. Where the rightful king over all creation asserts his authority. His crucifixion was a sign of his coming rule, not just over Rome, but over all creation. The very moment of Jesus' execution was actually his enthronement. Jesus is not the firstborn of all creation despite the cross, but because of the cross. And of course, the people of the day and anybody who would look on this objectively, Jesus being charged as a criminal, then mocked, beaten, nailed to a cross to die, that doesn't look like a win, (laughs) It sure seems like a defeat. It sure seems like a failure. But what the Gospels are trying to tell us is that this defeat is actually a triumph. What seems like a loss is actually a victory. Because it is through the death of Jesus Christ that we are all offered new life in his resurrection. On the cross, Jesus is enthroned as king over everything. And he isn't a king who rules with arrogance and force. He is a king who rules with humility and grace. That is who Jesus is. The firstborn of all creation. So for those of you in this room who feel lost, for those of you in this room who need to be forgiven, those of you in this room who feel like you've lost hope, who feel all alone and worthless. For those of you in this room who think the world is just too far gone, and maybe maybe I'm too far gone too. For those of you in this room who want to be made new, there is one who has power and authority over this broken world. There is one who has the authority over rulers and nations of this earth. There is one who the powers of evil bow down to. There is one who has authority to forgive sin. And there is one who can bring you new life. Who is this man? Who is this God? He is Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. And here is the offer to you this morning. King Jesus is offering you a chance to enter into his kingdom. Not because of anything you've done or I've done. Not because you have anything to offer to him. Everything is his anyway, right? King Jesus is offering you to come and live in his kingdom simply because of his love for you. Because Jesus died on the cross, those who were once traitors against the king of the universe can now be welcomed into his kingdom. And not only do we get to live with this king, we're actually adopted into his family, known as sons and daughters to the king of the universe. All you have to do is come to him, confess your sin, believe in faith that Jesus' death on the cross will cover your sin, and commit your life to following him. And if you do that, you can be reconciled to God this morning, to the one who created you, and is even now ruling and reigning over all creation. Church, We serve the firstborn of all creation, the king of the universe, the one who is ruling and reigning over heaven and earth. This should make us a people of hope 
a people of love, a people of unimaginable peace. We should be comforted and empowered knowing that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all creation even now, that he is the firstborn of all creation. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.